Welcome in. It is a Thursday, and this is the Sports Huddle on SEMO ESPN Radio, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, and online worldwide at SEMOESPN.com. Eric Sean and the Missouri Sports Hall of Famer Jess Bolin inviting you to join us in the huddle. Here's our EBOMD huddle hotline number, 573-334-334. 1220 573-334-1220 the huddle hotline powered by ebomd it's supposed to rain today i think it is it's about uh my phone i think it was 70 percent, but that was a couple days ago so i don't know what it is now yeah no good with the rain heavy and torrential downpours at time in cape Girardeau today yeah, it says sixty percent chance on my phone. So it's going to get a little wet. Well, it's not supposed to. On my phone, it's not supposed to rain that much. Mine says about one sixth of an inch. So anyway, you know how that is. When it rains, it pours. Yeah, you yeah. never know when it's going to stop around here, and also the the climate's just different. It's more powerful now than it ever was. So, looks like it's going to be raining right at the time I'm bringing my uh, equipment into the Show Me Center today. See, uh, the women's game starts at four o'clock, doesn't it? Four o'clock because it's on ESPNU, so national television dictating the start time of that game. Men go at 7, so there'll be plenty of time between games. Um, and we don't have to kind of speculate on when the yeah. actual tip-off is going to be for the men. Plenty of time in between the two games. 7 o'clock for the men's game. Little Rock is in town. And, boy, this Little Rock men's team, Jess, they are second in the league in scoring. Mm-hmm. Number one in field goal percentage. Number one in three-point shooting percentage. Well, and time's running out for men in Southeast, uh, let's be honest. And, you know, they're in a situation where it doesn't matter how good the other team is, you got to beat them. They're playing on your floor, and and you got to have a win. I mean, it doesn't make any difference who's coming to town. It could be the number one team in the conference. There's just certain times you got to win. Tonight's one of those nights for the men. What I think should be interesting tonight, conference games, Little Rock, the most accurate three-point shooting team. SEMO, believe it or not, is number two in three-point defense in the OVC. Can the Red Hawks defend that three-point line tonight against the Trojans? Yeah, it's a, it's just a must. And it, you talk about a lot of times we talk about it's a must win. Well, this is definitely is a must win. Simo no lost by five there. The men's team they were up three at halftime. I believe they took a five point lead early in the second half, and Little Rock came back and beat them. But they were very competitive at Little Rock. We'll see if that's the case again. Uh, pretty competitive game for the women against Little Rock, but uh, the women's team. Jess, they are known for one thing, and that is they don't shoot a lot of threes. They're all, two years they've been in the league, last and made three-pointers, but they're number one in scoring <clears throat> defense. They've got one of the best scoring defenses 
in the country. So putting up points, which has been a struggle for the Red Hawks, they've got to do it against the number one scoring defense in the league. We'll see if they're able to rise to the occasion. And the bottom line is, I've said a million times, it's it's a home game. doesn't matter who walks into the show-me center. You've got to feel like you can win. And, the, you know, Southeast has to go into the, both these games with attitudes, hey, we're going to walk out of here and win tonight. I don't care what you are or where, what your stats say. Not going to work tonight. That's, I mean, you call that kind of attitude a little bullish. I don't care what you call it. A little confident, a little arrogant. Call it what you want to. I don't care. But certain times in your life in sports, it's not an option to lose. It's just not. You've got to win. And you got to go into thinking, hey, we're going to win this game. And I don't, like I said, throw all them stats out the window. I would like to see both teams, Southeast women and men, get off to a good start. Don't fall behind by eight or ten points in the first six minutes of the game, eight minutes. It's so critical in sports, in any sport, to get off to a good start. Get that first punch. And... You remember the Southeast men a couple of weeks ago jumped all over somebody in the first 10 minutes of the game. By Tennessee Tech. And then just went on to victory. So it's um, it's critical. And you both, know, of, these, get, both of these Little Rock teams are having good years. Little Rock, despite their overall record, remember – I went down the list earlier in the season when Simo was going to Little Rock. I'm talking about the women. And Little Rock played one of the toughest non-conference schedules in the nation. They were like 1-9 or 1-10, something like that to start the year. They, they played tremendous programs. But they are in a tie for third here with four games left in the regular season. So they are right up there now. Southern Indiana has already won the championship, 14-1. and one, But everybody's jockeying for seeding right now. So they're in third place, three-way tie for third with Tech and Martin. The men, Little Rock is the hottest team in the league. They've won five in a row. There is a four-way tie at the top of the conference standings in the loss column. Moorhead, 11-4. They've played one more game. And then you've got Martin, WIU, and Little Rock, 10-4. and four. So, lost column, dead even for four teams at the top. And SEMO has to play three of those four teams in their final four games. Well, it's a big hill yeah. at the time, no question. And who gets – how many uh, passes do you get? You get a double buy if you're one of the top two seeds. Then you get a buy, and then you don't get a buy. Is the top two seeds the same kind of buys? In other words, there's not a difference between a one and a two. They get double buys. Yeah, both of them? Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I can't be concerned about that. <laughs> you got to be concerned about what's going on tonight. But if you're Little Rock, I mean, you've got a shot to uh, yeah, well, you know, who, get. Who cares about Little Rock around here? You know, they got to get beat tonight. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of adamant about this. I understand that. But. I played big games a lot of times in my life. Chips are all on the table. Win or go home. And um, this is one of those games. 
far as I'm concerned. They've got a winning record in conference road games this year. Little Rock is 4-3 and three in conference away from Little Rock. So they bring a five-game winning streak in for the 7 o'clock men's game and the women's game. So where does these teams the, stand? The, the, the two lowest-scoring teams in the league are Little Rock women, their last. SEMO women are next to last in scoring. We're so Southeast don't Missouri. expect a much of a of a offensive battle. I don't. Red Hawk but, women are tied for eighth. Okay. But they own the tiebreaker with the team they're tied with, and that's Tennessee Is State. Who's behind them? Is it a separation? Lindenwood and Edwardsville are behind SEMO. Lindenwood is one game back, and SIUE is three games back. SIUE is going to finish four games last. to go, two at home, two at a row. Right. Okay. How about the men? Where they really stand? Tenth. But Southern Indiana is their final game. They'll play Southern Indiana. Well, Southern Indiana just beat Moorhead. Who's eighth? Eighth place right now is Southern Indiana. And that's where you got to get to. Yes. They're five and ten. You're three and eleven. And you need to beat Southern Indiana. Then you'd have the tiebreaker with them beating them twice because remember they won on that buzzer beater by rob martin earlier this season so it's doable it's doable i mean you got to play your probably your best basketball of the season to do it but and they go to moorhead next thursday and right now moorhead state is scuffling they've lost three in a row they were 11 and one and running away you thought and then all of a sudden they're 11 and four well you know you got to take in consideration the necessity of the game. It's hard to measure that. I don't think you can say that it's more important to someone else than it is to you, but the necessity. The teams you're playing that are above you, they're in the playoffs. They know that. Um, the, so the necessity is not that dire for well, three of these teams at Southeast Plain, don't you think? Three of the teams, I think one of them, Indiana State, that's who the one is that's one game ahead of the Red Hawks? Uh, you're talking about the men? Yeah. Yeah. Southern Indiana. Southern Indiana is Tennessee, one game ahead. And Tennessee Tech are one game ahead in the loss column, but Southern Indiana is two games ahead in the win column. So, in other words, Southern Indiana 8th, 5-10. and ten. So Tennessee now they, Tech, those two ninth, teams have four and ten. plenty of incentive, Southern Indiana. Yeah, exactly. But the teams above them that you're going to play is Moorhead and who else was more on the schedule? Moorhead. Four and, teams tied with four losses: Moorhead, Martin, Western Illinois, Little Rock. And the Red Hawks played Moorhead and who? UT Martin and Little Rock. Okay. So they play three of those top four who are tied for first That's in the loss column. That's the ones column. I'm talking about with incentive to win. I mean, look, everybody walks out there on the floor or on the baseball field or football field, whatever. Everybody's got incentive to win. I don't want to stress that, that one team really wants to win worse than the other. I mean, everybody wants to win, but a necessity to win is different than a want to win. And... um Red Hawks certainly have the necessity to win. And um, funny things happen in the last parts of seasons in any sport. 
So around here, we're looking for a funny thing to happen with a victory tonight, both teams, and see where it goes from there. So we're expecting rain today. We did not have any weather issues yesterday in Cape Jess where the SEMO baseball team played its home opener against Murray State, came in 3-0 after rolling past an overmatched Purdue-Fort Wayne team. And the Redhawks, who last year lost both games to Murray. Murray came in here and shut them out 5 nothing last year, and it looked like the same game this year. The five to one and the six, wasn't it? They're down five to one mm-hmm. and not much going on offensively. Red Hawks had nine base runners up to that point. Only one had scored in the first five innings. So they were getting guys on but did they change pitchers? Murray State. Uh they did after Simo started hitting home runs. Yeah. Five was it five home runs in one inning? Four. They had four in the sixth inning yeah. yesterday, and they added a solo What's Palmer? Homer. Palmer flexing up? Did he lift weights over the winter? He's a big guy. He's 6'3". Well, what I'm saying, though, yeah, but power-wise, he wasn't big. One home run and it was foul, you said? Yeah, he had one home run last year. He had five two years ago. Well, maybe he's going to hit 10 or 12 this year. Got two already, doesn't he? Yes. And then Josh Cameron hasn't done anything much this year, and you know he will. The Red Hawks might have a better offensive team than they've had in a while. You just never know. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt Josh Cameron's going to get going, but I don't think, you know, he got off to a really good start last year. He had a big series at Central Arkansas where they opened the season, and you kind of thought, okay, maybe he is one of those fast starters but so far, Cameron is two for sixteen with ten strikeouts. It's the high fastball right now that's giving him trouble. And I was talking to Andy Sawyer's, and he said Cameron's a guy sometimes that keeps his hands uh, a little bit lower than they need to be, and so sometimes his hand placement can get out of whack, where he's susceptible to good velo up. So I don't have any question we saw him i mean he led simone like every offensive category last year well you know we always had a uh, saying on the caps nothing above the hands and so if his hands are a little low you might want to bring them up and then say nothing above this that i'm swinging at because if your hands are low and you go after that high fastball you got a lot of problems of getting the bat where it should be on the plane it should be but I don't have any doubts that he will. He's a good hitter. He will come around. Did score a run yesterday, drew a walk, ended up scoring. But how about, uh, you know, so Simo hits five home runs. They And it was a big offensive day. The wind was blowing out to right field. And I'm trying to think. I think all of Simo's home runs went from center to the right field foul pole. So where the wind, you know, makes a lot of sense this where time the wind of was going out. The... Uh, guy from Murray State, Garner, their first baseman, hit two home runs. He hit him to left field, right-handed hitter. But how about uh, this debut for Michael Mugen, who Andy Sawyer's put in the three-hole opening day. Mugen now, Jess, is 9 for 18. He's batting 500 with a double, three homers, seven RBI. <clears throat> I, I'd say it's a pretty good start. 
Uh, I would say you dream of those kind of stars. That's how how big this one is. Some so. guys, are, it's historic how some guys come out of the shoot quick. And um, I remember back when I played, I was the quick starter. I mean, I may be like Mugen, you know, early in the year in, in high school. And um, and then I seemed like I'd have a lull about midway through the season and then have the same kind of, at the end, good start, the end and the first. But uh, just certain hitters, they get off to slow start and then they go from there. So what we've seen with Mugen, he's played two games in left field and he's played two games in center field. Now they had Ian Riley in there who's an elite defensive center fielder. That's where he got most of his playing time last year at Dallas Baptist late inning defensive replacement. So they moved Mugen over to left field again yesterday, gave Riley another start, and he hits his first home run. He had one of the five. And so it was a big offensive day for SEMO. They had to hold on there at the end as Murray State got two runs in the ninth, and they held on for a, a one-run victory. But that's a that's a nice win for SEMO, and they've got a, a new Division One program coming in here uh, starting tomorrow. St. Thomas, the Tommies, they're from Minneapolis. Doing a little research on them because I don't know. Off the top of your head, what do you know about St. Thomas? Nothing. That's what I mean. I don't know that you got to do a little research. Uh, apparently, the old system used to be, first of all, nobody has jumped from Division Three right to Division One. They were Division Three. They were Division Three, And so the old system would be a 12-year process. You have to go from Division Three to Division Two, and then you have to spend time at Division Two, and then you move to Division One, and then you're on that probationary period. Well, they're they're not going to be fully available to go to postseason play and everything till 2026. But they move from Division Three up to Division One. Last year was their first year. This is their second year. Uh, and they just beat Illinois State, scored 20 runs. But Coach Sawyer said uh, they were playing that tournament. I think it might have been down in Florida to double-check. They were playing it on a minor league backfield where the wind was blowing about 30 miles an hour out. And so the scouting report that Coach Sawyer's got, uh, they're they're not as offensive as the numbers they put up in that uh, hurricane they were playing in. So I don't know how good their offense is, but he said uh, their scouting report is they have one legit arm in terms of a starting pitcher. One? Well, one really good one. That's not going to get you far in a three-game series. Yeah, we'll see what their pitching looks like, but I think their ERA is 17 coming in because the team they were playing was playing with a win, too. So I think they played four games. They're one and three. Well, if you got a num- one guy that's number one style pitcher, you might want to pitch him in game three. Yeah, I think he. they did. They didn't pitch him in game one. reason why is because you don't want him to go against your the other team's ace and then maybe get beat, pitch a great game, get beat. Low score, three. Uh, that's two. exactly what they did. I yeah. think the guy threw four scoreless innings uh, in his start. So that that's a team that'll be in here three o'clock tomorrow, noon doubleheader Saturday, one o'clock getaway game on Sunday. So that's what 
SEMO Baseball has before they go to Mizzou on Tuesday. But I think nine of their next 10 or 10 of their last, next 11 are at Kapaha. So you got a lot of home cooking uh, coming up for the Red Hawks. But a, a nice debut yesterday for the fans and Jess. That was a big crowd at Kapaha yesterday. It was a nice turnout. Well, what a day. Yeah. And I think the the temperatures, I think we're in the 60s tomorrow. It's going to be low 50s on Saturday and then back up into the 60s on Sunday. So uh, the day that they play the longest, a doubleheader, it's going to be 50. So it might be a little uncomfortable on uh, on Tuesday, especially if the wind is blowing in your dugout, right? Mm, yes. But 60s on Friday and Sunday for uh, well, two you, of the four you dream games. of that kind of weather this time of year. It's not, not expected whatsoever. I mean, if the temperature was 20 degrees lower, say 45, you'd play. You know, you'd say, well, it's good enough to play. A little chilly, but we'll make it. But play at 65 degree temperature in this area in February, that's... Dream you dream about that kind it of stuff. It was seventy one at game time yesterday. Yeah, it was unbelievable. So we had some uh, we had some pretty good college uh, basketball last night. Penn State stormed the floor after they won at home over twelfth ranked Illinois. They got three free throws. Guy fouled while shooting a three. He was clearly fouled, and the Penn State guy. Stepped up, hit all three free throws. They were down two. And so Illinois threw up a heave at the end. Didn't go. They stormed the floor. Penn State upsets 12th-ranked Illinois 90-89. to And the guy who was originally charged with sexual assault, but he got a uh, – he got a, a – stay from the judge where he can still play for the Illini, Terrence Shannon Jr., 35 points in the loss for Illinois. Florida and Alabama went right down to the wire. They went overtime, and Alabama ranked 13th, first place in the SEC, downs Florida in OT 98-93, and then the Kentucky Wildcats. Yesterday, they were, up, they were up 15 points at LSU. So they blow the 15-point lead. And Kentucky hits a late shot. And so Kentucky is up one. LSU has the ball, bringing the ball up the floor. Guy drives into the lane, gets it blocked. It comes right back to LSU, and he kind of tips it. At the buzzer. Here's the final call for LSU Radio as they erase a 15-point deficit and beat the Kentucky Wildcats last night. Kentucky leads 74-73. Here's right. Crossover. Right. Goes up. Got the shot blocked. Got it back. Throws it to Ward. Oh! At the buzzer for the win. It's good. Oh! LSU. Defeats Kentucky on a last second put up shot by Tyrell Ward. 
75-74, Kentucky arguing the shot did not get up in time. It got up in time, and then you got this clown of a color man. I know. He took over the show. These guys know that uh, plays like that, that highlight is going to be played, and they got to get in there. Got to get in there. Here's what I don't get at the end here. Listen to the play by play. Defeats Kentucky on a last second put up shot by Tyrell Ward. I'm not sure what a put up shot is on a last second put up shot. Not really sure. I've ever. I would imagine it's you take a shot and you don't have a good angle. You you you're covered. A put up. Put it up there any old way you can. That's the way I would just. You know, describe that. All my years, never heard anybody say I never either. Put but, up uh, That doesn't mean it's not accurate. Big win for the LSU Tigers. Matt McMahon, who was a Murray State coach, went there, lost everybody to the portal, brought a few Murray guys there. So that's a big win for McMahon. Uh, they are 6-7 and seven in the SEC. Kentucky now 8-5, and five, and they are... On the ledge in Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, Jess. gosh. I can only imagine. Eight and five now, Kentucky, in the SEC. And pretty good game. New Mexico knocks off 22nd-ranked Colorado State, 68-66, two-point win. So there were some good basketball games involving top 25 teams last night. So if you were flipping around watching some hoops, uh, you got some good ones. And I did watch the end of the Florida-Alabama game, watch the end of the Kentucky-LSU game, because our baseball game yesterday was, I would say, pretty quick, Jess. What was the time on it? 220? 245. Yeah, that is, well, it's not exceptionally quick. I mean, three hours is quite a long time for a baseball game. And we had 21 hits and 15 runs. Yeah, with that many runs scored and everything, yeah, that's not bad. And Murray State used six pitchers, so you got those pitching changes. Mm-hmm. Red Hawks used four. So it looked like it was going to be pretty quick. We are right two and a half hours going into the ninth inning. Uh, but then Murray State scored two runs. Red Hawks changed pitchers. It, so the, the ninth inning drug out a little bit, and there was drama. Cardinal, how many pitching changes you make during an inning? A lot of times the pitching change is made – as you're batting, you know, he comes in with a fresh inning. So, But it's a pitching change. So how many times do you stop the game to go to the mound and make a pitching change? There's where you run into extra time. So really good win by the Red Hawks, and the college basketball was very good. Uh, you've got the Mizzou Tigers, Jess, <clears throat> riding a 13-game losing streak. And they will play Saturday morning. It's an 11 a.m. game in Fayetteville against struggling Arkansas. Uh, here's what they've got left. Arkansas, Florida. Ole Miss at home. Ole Miss lost last night at Mississippi State. Auburn in Columbia. They'll be underdogs there. And then they go to LSU where Kentucky just lost. I would say on paper, Arkansas Saturday morning, but it's a road game. 11 a.m., maybe that's Mizzou's best chance to not go winless in the SEC. 
you know, might be the best chance, but I can't see them winning any games. Yeah, they may not. They absolutely may not. And the thing about it is they were pretty good last year. Speaking of the SEC, Jess, the University of Alabama, their radio play-by-play man for football for 35 years, Eli Gold, he's a pretty famous cat, 35 years, he's age 70, missed the entire 2022 season as he battled cancer, came back last year, did the home games, and he did the Iron Bowl against Auburn. They announced yesterday that Eli Gold is out. Not by his wanting to step away. They decided they're moving on in a different direction. They thanked Eli Gold for his service. Chris Stewart, who has been doing uh, basketball at Alabama since 1998, does baseball too because we've been down there. He's average, very average. Uh, he is going to step over. He gets the gig, and Eli Gold is out. And Gold told AL.com, this was his uh, his quote, says he does not plan to retire. He said, the university has chosen not to bring me back. This is not, with a capital not, not at all health-related. I'm very healthy. Everything is wonderful. I'm healthy as a horse. So, well, How old is he? He's 70 That's years funny. old. And so Alabama is moving on. I mean, he's kind of a legendary college football voice and obviously was there for all well, six of Saban's national the, championships at Alabama. That's one job I really don't think age should matter. Look at Vince Scully. What did he do, 86 years old? 89. And he, was, and he was just a tremendous, even at that age. A lot depends on other things, but uh, health being one of them, but Usually the one of the last things you lose is your voice. I mean, look at people that sing for a living. You see people that sing and you think, wow, Dolly Parton or people like that to getting up there in age. Their voice is still tremendous. So I don't know why they wanted to make a change. Maybe they were fearing a comeback of the cancer. Who knows what? I don't know what kind of cancer it was, but no. some are more susceptible for coming back than others, you know. And, so he uh, came back last year, did the home Kind games. of a downer story. Yeah. Because they can always say it's not health-related, but I can't believe that there wouldn't be some consideration there about him being healthy enough to do it, especially at that age. So I'm not a big fan of Eli Gold, <clears throat> and this kind of solidified it for me. 2021, October 9th, they play at Texas A&M. Nick Saban had never lost to a former assistant coach. A&M's unranked. They line up for a 28-yard field goal, and Eli Gold is mad. He's mad that they're lining up to beat the tide. And so what does he do for the game-winning kick? Does not announce it? He does not say a freaking word. Yeah. Here it is with Eli Gold, and that was it for me with him and his hubris. He quit describing the game. This is it. This is how it sounded on Alabama radio. And when he finally did say something, 
It was about the A&M fans charging the field, and they get a $250,000 fine. This is how Eli Gold, at this point, 33 years in the booth, this is how he was mad and called the final field goal when A&M beat Alabama. What happens? This is radio. Radio, not TV. Yeah, that's not acceptable. Well, the league is going to get themselves $250,000 because everybody who does not have a seat and those who did have now flooded the field here at Kyle Field and College Station. So that uh, that's the way he called the game-winning field goal or did not call it. Afterwards, he tried to explain his bizarre approach about not doing his freaking job. Uh, that's part of what rake makes radio the medium that it is. It's the sound. There's no picture. I just know. To do it justice, as a huge moment as it was, I said to myself, you know what, just let the crowd tell the story. Well, I believe in the crowd. I mean, Harry Carey was big at that. You remember how he'd always say, listen to the crowd. But he done described, he already described the action. And then he let you listen to the crowd. That's fine. I don't see nothing went, wrong with that. And then he went on to say, and I think the fans would understand if they heard crickets or nothing, then I was going to jump right in. But if they heard a massive roar, they wouldn't have known the Aggies would have kicked the game. They would have known that the Aggies kicked the game-winning field goal. Sorry, man. That's not good enough. Sorry. No. You are on radio, and it sucks when your team loses. I know. You've got to call it. Of course you do, and you've got to give the other team credit instead of just being a homer all the way through. That's a joke. You see good things happen to an athlete. Always look at it this way. I remember one time Arkansas State out here at Southeast Baseball. They were in a tough spot, and they brought a kid in, and he struck out the side with the bases loaded against Southeast. Now, me personally, I was disappointed because I wanted Southeast to win that game. I wanted to, you know, good things to happen there with base loaded. But I also remember remarking about what that meant to that kid coming in there in that situation his parents and people that love him and seeing him perform that way against a good team. Southeast was really good. So you got to give, uh, you know, recognition of people that just because you don't like it, that the success that person has is remarkable in a situation. So. No, I think uh, when if you're calling silent, on local radio, you don't, silent, you don't have that, to get excited about the other team beating your team. No, but you got to recognize it. I mean, do you think it's wrong to recognize a guy coming in striking out the side, even though it's against your team? And two years later, he's out. I, I, I'm telling you, man. I bet there were plenty of people who were a little miffed about that. About about the, the way he handled it. Well, of course, I'm talking about something else. So when you're talking about. This guy's still yet, and I'm talking about as an announcer, okay? 
a broadcaster, you have to acknowledge the other team's success. I mean, you, if not, who was who wants to listen? That the only time you report anything exciting is when your team does it. But to go blank on a broadcast, like I said, if that was TV, you could. I mean, you could look over that. Television, people see what happened. That's okay, but not radio. Speaking of broadcasters, Jess, Chip Carey has two twin sons, two twin boys, Chris Carey and Stefan Carey, twins. They are broadcasters. They do baseball. And it was just announced that Chris Carey has been hired as the play-by-play announcer for the Oakland Athletics, fourth wow. generation of carries. Chip, you mean the Oakland athletics. Major League team? Yes. Wow. On NBC Sports California, <laughs> fourth generation, of course, Harry Carey, great-grandfather. His grandpa, Skip Carey, 32 years with the Atlanta Braves before he passed. Obviously, you know, you got Chip Carey in St. Louis, and now Chris... Stefan is still calling minor league baseball games, but he is a broadcaster as well. They uh, they most recently handled play-by-play duties for the double-A team in Amarillo in the Diamondbacks system. <clears throat> so a fourth generation of carries. Yeah, that's something. Um, I don't know if that's ever happened again no, somewhere it else. has not. No. And let's face it, they're all good. <laughs> I like Terry. I like. I've Kip. never heard. I like Chris Carey, so we'll see. No, I, I don't either. I haven't heard him, but I like Chip Carey. Don't you? I think he does yes. good. Is he coming back with the Cardinals? Yeah, good. So Chris Carey will be joining Jenny Kavnar. Now, if you listen to MLB Network Radio, Kavnar's on there with a the show, uh, but Jenny Cav. Nar with the A's was hired this month to become the first woman to handle primary play-by-play duties in major league history. So the A's have hired Jenny Kavnar, the first woman full-time play-by-play, and now the great-grandson of Harry Carey to broadcast their games. There you go. Thought that was interesting, especially on the heels of Eli Gold. Uh, what a what a family history of excellence. Because you you can't get to the big leagues broadcasting. Let's face it, broadcasting or playing playing a game or whatever. If you don't do an excellent job on your way up, now I don't know how many years this Chris Carey's been broadcasting. Did he do college sports or what? what? He'd been doing minor league baseball. I don't know if he did college sports. He graduated from the University of Georgia. I remember one time Jack Buck was talking about broadcasters, and he made this statement. I thought about you when I heard him say it. He said, uh, any good collegiate broadcaster can do the job in the big leagues. Somebody that's... Got some talent. 
they do collegiate sports. And I, because believe it or not, it's baseball. It's, it's the same, the game. same yes, game. It is. Yes, it is. And your presentation wouldn't change um, if you got the big leagues. So it all comes down to voice. It comes down to you know the way you present the game and the way you describe everything that's going on. And I'll be interested so, to uh, you know with MLB TV. Kind of tune in. I, I've never heard him broadcast, so maybe yeah, tune in too. to I'd like to Oakland Athletic it. Games, yeah. kind of see. I bet his voice is something like Chips, you know. I would they, think. We've all got that smooth voice. Oh, Harry Carey was unbelievable of, when of he was the, younger. Of the four, Skip Carey was the one that didn't really have the, you know. No, he didn't. He had a different kind of voice. Yeah, it was. A, a little nasally, but he was an excellent broadcaster. But Skip Harry, Carey. when Harry was younger, and I mean, he was probably in his 40s when I was young, listening to games, but his voice was velvet. Harry Carey would put on a, a performance, it seemed like. When the Cardinals would play, you could actually just lay back on the couch or something and listen to the game and visualize everything that was happening. And I think that's what a radio broadcaster, if he's any good, will do. He, you can see the game through his description of the game. And Harry was that way for sure. He's my guy. And like, say, Skip. Nothing near as good as Harry, but Chip is better than his dad, I think. Don't you? Is Chip better than Skip? Yes. Yes. I think so. So we'll see if... And I, I, I witnessed Skip Carey do a million games growing up watching TBS because every too. Braves game was yeah. on TV. Yeah, was Skip Carey was America's the guy. Team. But does it skip a generation? You know, like Harry was great. Chip, uh, Skip was not, but Chip is. So does that mean that his son Chris is not nearly the level of his dad? Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I got to listen to. Him. Yeah. Um. So, couple of things in baseball yesterday, MLB Network Television. They have been going through the top 100 players now, current players. They revealed the top 10 last night, and. Jim Bowden has a new article on The Athletic. Jim Bowden, who also works for MLB Network Radio, MLB Network. But he writes for The Athletic, former general manager of the Cincinnati Reds. Bowden named the top five managers on the hot seat this year. Marmol number one. Do you think Marmol is on the list? Yes. Well, we'll let you know when we come back. And how about that top ten list, according to MLB Network, top ten players... In the sport right now, is Otani number one? We'll check it out when we come back. It's the Sports Huddle on SEMO ESPN. Sports Huddle, SEMO ESPN, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM. And you can always find us online worldwide, SEMO ESPN. Dot com former Cincinnati Reds general manager Jim Bowden put together for the athletic top five managers he thinks are on the hot seat this year. Jess uh, Pedro Grafal for the White Sox, number five. Bud Black of the Rockies checks in at four. SIU Carbondale graduate Derek Shelton of the Pirates, number three. The number one 
manager on the hot seat, John Schneider of the Blue Jays. And number two, Oliver Marmol of the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, I think talking to Molina and bringing him into the organization really tells you a lot about why Marmol would be on the hot seat because everybody's said in baseball, people that really know the game have always said that Molina should be a good manager. And he's had a little experience at World Baseball Classic, winter ball, stuff like this. But I think Molina would be good. Um, and I think he's the next guy for the cards. So some of the things that uh, Bowden wrote here about Marmol had a strong rookie year in 2022, 93 wins, first place finish. Last year, disaster, 71 and 91. Dead last in the NL Central. Marmol has challenged 81 umpire calls in his two seasons. He's gotten 45 of them overturned. That's a success rate of 55.6%. And he kind of documents some things that went wrong, Jess. Signing Wilson Contreras, five years, 87 and a half. Marmol in the first month of the season announced Contreras would no longer be the catcher. Instead, would DH or play left field? Then Marmol changed his mind. Contreras went back to being the primary catcher. Now, this is somebody on the outside looking in, somebody that follows Major League Baseball. These these are the things that happened for Marmol that Jim Bowden is seeing. Marmol was also criticized for calling out players in the media instead of talking directly with them first and for giving players set days off despite needing them in close games. Then there were decisions concerning Jordan Walker. Made the team out of spring training, but was quickly sent to the minors after 20 games, despite the fact that he was hitting 274 with two homers and 11 RBIs. When Walker returned to the bigs, he hit 338 in June, four homers, nine RBIs, but the Cardinals still wanted to change him. And so he does say the Cardinals' evolving analytics department probably had too much influence on Marmol. And he says... If they are below 500 middle of the season, do not be surprised if Yadier Molina is the manager come the All-Star well, I don't break. think anybody would be surprised about that. I mean, But that's an outsider watching yeah. what has been going on in St. Well, Louis. he's wrong about some things there that he said, though. Uh, throwing players under the bus, yeah, you just don't do that. You go back to Tyler O'Neill and he's, you know, even if you say – or you know he wasn't hustling, and I don't think he was either. I saw the play when it happened, when he rounded third, was thrown out at the plate. Right. And, Called him uh, out first week of the season. And so, but when he's saying that Jordan Walker was sent to the minors, that's not that's not Marmo's decision at all. That's the GM's decision to send him down. And the organization. Do we know that? Well, sure. Anybody would know I that. Mean, Marmol I mean, says, "Hey, I I think he could use he some could recommend here. it, but he's not the boss of the player relations or the you know, organization. He manages the team. That's it. That's all he. I mean, if he does any more than that, in other words, if he has the power to say, "Hey, send this guy to the minors," well, then the GM. What's his role? Uh, player relations developing president what's his role i mean come on i don't buy that at all but i do buy everything else he said pretty well about molina would be the guy if they're under 500 sure we said that before 
If John uh, plays under the bus, he did not specifically say it was Marmol's call. He said there were decisions concerning Jordan Walker. We well, could contribute to it, of course. Yeah, yeah. I think a manager should have say in that. I think a manager should be able to sit in on the draft. But when, what it says you, is on the outsiders, people that follow the game closely, looking at the Cardinals, the Contreras calling out O'Neill, sending one of the top prospects in baseball, back to the minors, talking well, about launch angle. Well, O'Neill is much worse than the Jordan Walker issue. Um, Contreras, why would you even announce that? Why? What's the necessity to say that? That Nothing. He's no longer a catcher. And if you don't think, if I was managing, I didn't think a guy hustled like Tyler O'Neill. I do not think he did hustle. I'm on Marmol's side about that. But you don't say it to the media. You bring him in your office and say, hey, how much do you, here's what I would say to him. How much do you want to play in the big leagues? Do you enjoy being here? Is it important to you to be in the major leagues, to hold down a job in the most elite players in the world? What's your, what's your take on that? Tell me. Because I don't like the way you played today. I don't like the way you come around third base. I didn't see the effort. I didn't see the hustle. I didn't see the desire. I didn't see anything good. So you tell me how important it is for you to stay in the big. That's the kind of conversation you have with a guy. You don't go to the media and start saying, you know, Tyler O'Neill didn't hustle. You don't say stuff like that. I mean, come on. It destroys any chance you got of a relationship with that player. Did didn't you know Tyler O'Neill's gone now? But didn't you know after that statement he was going to be gone? Regardless of what he did, he, he probably wouldn't be a Cardinal if Marmol's there. And Contreras, they just got too much invested in him. And Contreras handled it like a professional. He didn't say anything. He didn't rock the boat. You know, he just let it lay. And then I think the pitchers had some. And he went out there and had a marvelous season. The pitchers got Contreras out from behind the plate. Let's be honest about it. They threw to Molina all their life. Now they've got another guy in there, and they are not going to accept him. They might have said that and made life miserable for any catcher that came in. You could have Rio Muto come in and, and catch, and maybe they would have went the same thing about him. But then they realized they were wrong, and the pitchers went to Mosellac and Marmol and said, Contreras is plenty good enough to be our catcher. They changed their tune. So <laughs> I just think that Marmol is on thin ice. And I think you'll, like, I, I totally agree that if he's under 500 midway in the season, he's gone. And if I was GM, he would be. Because he's not exceptional as a manager. In any way. MLB Network has counted down the top 100 players right now in Major League Baseball. The highest Cardinal checked in at 33, Nolan Arenado. Paul Goldschmidt, 36. Uh, oh, by the way, Adolis Garcia, 39. Randy Rosarena, 40. <laughs> so the Cardinals had four. Just want to top forty yeah, just, if you count those two. Just want to throw that in there. Yeah. But they revealed the. They've been revealing them in stages. Last night they did the top ten. Well, let me name you a few guys that's got to be there. In my opinion, I didn't see the show either, so I don't know. 
Otani, Betts, Trout, Okina. Those four have to be in there for me. Trout is 12 this year. Top 10, the center fielder for the Mariners, Julio Rodriguez. Excellent player. Mm -hmm. Number nine, the best pitcher in the sport, Garrett Cole. Oh, see, I wouldn't even think about pitchers. Number eight, Jordan Alvarez, left fielder for Houston. Not so sure about that one. He's a just a wrecker. I know. Destroyer. I'm not so sure about him being in the top ten. Number seven, Juan Soto of the Yankees. Yes. Number six, Corey Seager. No, of course. The World Series MVP. Number five, Freddie Freeman. Yes. Yeah, uh, uh, he's on my list. Number four, and I don't know how much. The injury factored in Shohei Otani, number four, uh, not, so unable to pitch. Got a lot to do with it. You say yeah. right now he's yeah. just a he's just a DH. Number three, Aaron Judge. Mm-hmm. Number two, Mookie Betts. Mm-hmm. And number one, Ronald Acuna Jr. And they're all in my list. Yeah, only one I would be reluctant and have to think more about it and see more numbers is Alvarez. But the rest of them, I mean, I, in fact, I'd probably have Trout in front of Alvarez, even though Trout's big problem is not his playing, it's his inability to play. Just be on the field. And don't you think if he'd been playing all this time, instead of being in, injured, he would be in that top five? If you say he wouldn't, then you're wrong. Alvarez has a career. Oh, <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> Career OPS for Jordan Alvarez is 978. He's 129 home runs. He's a hitter, but tell me about his defense in a few minutes. No, he's not. uh, Tell me about his base running. It's not a good. Can he steal your base? Can he throw anybody out from the outfield? All these things, to me, has got to go into the mix if you're going to talk about top 10 overall best players. I agree. He has two career steals, so no, he's not going to steal anybody. Six five, two twenty five. He's only twenty six. Jordan. Oh, Alvarez. he's a great talent. I'm not arguing that 26. point at all. But you're talking about the best talent in the world. You get. Well, you want me to tell you the top ten? He would not be in the top ten for last me. year. He ranked ninth. He moved up to eight this year. I would not have Trout behind him. That's for that's for sure. Bryce Harper is eleven. One spot Bryce in Harper. front of Trout. Bryce Harper and Trout should both be in the top ten for me. So there you go. We can get into it a little bit more uh, tomorrow. Uh, we've got SEMO basketball tonight, uh, this afternoon. Four o'clock game for the women, ESPNU. Seven for the men, um, ESPN Plus, and obviously Real Rock. Jess, hello to the Radiant and Ravishing Dawn Sean, she enjoyed going to the Red Hawk baseball game yesterday. She liked all the home runs, uh, so she's coming. <laughs> she's coming to the Show Me Center tonight to see some uh, Red Hawks. Who's got a final? Most uh, people like the home runs. I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to say hi to my girls in Texas and Columbia, like always, and uh, my boys running around here. My little sister Geneva Bowling, um, very precious to me. I think if it wasn't for her. 
I had real big problems during the COVID meltdown where we all had to stay home. Um, but we made it through, and she's a big inspiration for me. How about this one? Never stop striving to make the ordinary extraordinary and extraordinary ordinary. You get that one? Never stop striving to make the ordinary extraordinary and the extraordinary ordinary. You like that? Not bad. Who do you think wrote that? Is that a JB original? Oh, that's a Don Sean. There you go. There you go. Your wife, Don Sean, sent me that, and I think it was outstanding. Nice work. Never stop striving to make the ordinary extraordinary and the extraordinary ordinary. That's kind of a tongue twister, too, which didn't bother me at all. I'm sailed right through it. You rolled right through it. Yeah. All right, Jess, we'll see you at the Show Me Center tonight. Okay. Stay tuned. Greeny coming up. Enjoy your Thursday, everybody.